VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Hugh Wissencroft. It's Thursday and there's lots on the agenda. The best team lost. Jose Mourinho has his say on Spurs' defeat at Liverpool. Big Sam Allardyce is back in football at West Brom. We'll take you inside the Times scoop on Slavin Bilic's sacking. And what's going on at Leeds United this season? Goals, goals and more goals. And we'll also ask... What's the most predictable thing in the game? With me to discuss it all over the next hour or so, Gregor Robertson, Tom Clark, and Jonathan Northcroft. How are you doing, guys? Very good, Hugh. Very well, Hugh. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm clearly more excited than the three of you. Tom didn't even say hello. He just, he, just, he just sat there in silence. Thanks, mate. No, pleasure to see you as well. No, no, all good. I'm saving it. I'm saving it, Hugh. What do you want from me? I can't give you, you know, enthusiasm all the time. What do you expect from me? I think I was pretty cheerful on Monday's show. God, come You're on. saving your hello and greeting. I mean, charming. Thanks very much. Saving my energy for defending Jose Mourinho in about five minutes, which I have a feeling I'm about to do. So, you know, I, hello, Hugh. Good morning. <laughs> there you go. At least pretend you like me for the people that listen. At least pretend. God. Anyway, no, look. Never. Talking about pretending they like one another, Jose Mourinho and Jurgen Klopp did battle on the touchline last night and after the, the game, Jose Mourinho told Jurgen Klopp the best team lost. Of course, Liverpool running out 2-1 winners, extending their lead at the top of the Premier League table. And Jurgen Klopp then went and told the media, I thought he was joking talking about Jose Mourinho because Liverpool had 76% possession. They had 17 shots, 11 of those on target. Compare that to eight shots for Spurs who had just two on target. Did Liverpool remind us that they are the best team in the Premier League and they are going to be from here on out Jonathan the hardest team to beat in a title race as well I think they did I mean we, Klopp described it as one of the best performances of the season and I think that was right and I think what we saw was when they're at their best they are a little level above everyone else I mean they they managed to control and dominate Spurs in a way that Man City couldn't that um, that uh, Chelsea couldn't you know I thought that the sort of play in midfield was was, was really superb and, and, and they won that area. But um, Spurs still created three or four big chances. I know you've given us the stats there, but you know they, they, they had more clear chances in the game. So I think we learned that Spurs are probably the closest challengers too. The debate about who deserved what is a funny one in football because and it's, it's one of those lines that if you ever put in a match report, you know, they got the point they deserved or so-and-so deserved to win, you get a massive reaction because everyone wants to almost sort of replay the game the way they think it should have been and say who deserved what. And obviously, the, the scoreline 
is is what it is. But you could you could make a case for Spurs winning that match. That doesn't take away from the fact that Liverpool are the standard that they are, and nobody else really comes close because they achieved that result with. I think Mane wasn't on his best form. Had a couple of shots that he, he put straight at the keeper. With their problems in defence, I don't think Trent Alexander-Arnold's quite at his best. And despite all of that, they still had they still had far too much. And they're building form at the moment. You know, they started the season slowly, but they're building form as you'd expect them to do as the season goes on. And they are the team to beat. We did see that last night. Gregor, what did you make of the approach from Jose Mourinho? I know he's spoken about it of late. Um, for me, it's it's too defensive. I mean, it's not it's not it's not title winning football. It's not title winning football. It's good football. It's going to achieve them results. It's going to get them, in my opinion, a place in the top four. And I touted them, by the way, at the start of the season. Told you I'd bring it up again. But I don't think if Jose Mourinho is being serious about winning the Premier League title that he can continue to play like this. Maybe not in the games away at Liverpool, but. Certainly against Palace at the weekend, you know, it's back-to-back results now without a victory for them. And you don't win leagues like that. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, football's about making the best of your strengths and, and you know, uh, illuminating the, the opposition's weaknesses. And I think I'm kind of defending Josie here along with Tom. I think they weren't the best team. I mean, that's the, Liverpool dominated the game, but again, big, big shocker. You know, everyone... You, I think anyone could have predicted that Liverpool would have had more of the ball, um, you know, passed it around on front of Spurs a, a lot of the time. But Spurs definitely had the better chances. So if you look at whose game plan worked better, you know, Liverpool's goal came from a deflection, the first goal, and they scored right at the death with a bullet header when, you know, a, a defender lost his man. That was one man's mistake, really. So I, I think I think he set the team up pretty well. I think Liverpool did play well in the first half and they, you know, they, they moved the ball quickly. There's some brilliant sequences of play but ultimately it always ended with a shot on the edge of the box or just outside the box. And one of them, as I say, deflected and went in but there was always four or five bodies in front of them and Liverpool didn't create a great chance in the first half. Um, and Spurs did what they've, they've become so clinical at doing. They broke away and, and uh, you know, there was space in behind for, for Son to run into and, and it was a beautiful little ball outside of his left foot from Lucelso. So, you know, and then the second half they did change. They were slightly more on the front foot. And again, they saw another weakness. What's what's Liverpool's weakness, as Johnny just said? Trent Alexander-Arnold and the channel between him and, and Reese Williams. And Bergwijn had two golden opportunities from that, that position. So again, I don't think that was by accident. Um so look, maybe maybe they won't win the league with with, with this style of play, but um, I think they'll come closest to Liverpool on this evidence. And what's wrong? You know, people get slightly high and mighty about about the approach, and you want to see everyone going toe to toe, gung ho like Man Man City and Liverpool every week. I don't want to see that. I think this was another fascinating tactical game. And if Spurs had won that game, you know, it wouldn't have been anti-football was the winner as like some people are trying to make out it'll be someone had a a smart approach and got the better of Liverpool they didn't know uh, sorry I think I've probably woken up in a bad mood because I went to bed in a bad mood and the reason I went to bed in a bad mood listeners is because of that phrase anti-football I know yeah. there's no there's no bigger load of pompous rubbish in football than the phrase anti-football I mean 
can we just do away with it? Because what I watched last night was a brilliant battle between two different styles, two excellent football teams, both trying to win the game. Don't give me any of this crap and rubbish about Jose Mourinho parking the butter trying to win. Hugo Lloris was rolling the ball out. They were counter-attacking. They were trying to score goals. I, d- I don't want to sit and watch people tap it around and play two-touch. It's not a Harlem Globetrotters. I'm, I'm here for a game in which Serge Aurier, who was a defender we thought couldn't defend about six months ago, keeping Sadio Mane quiet for a lot of the game and looking like a great scrappy right-back of, of days gone by. I'm here for a game which forces Roberto Firmino, who's this, you know, false nine little neat tricks and things to score a bullet header that Alan Shearer would have been proud of. It was fantastic. And and all this anti-football, it's just nonsense. And it winds me up. The reason football is great is because you have two teams trying to win with a tactical battle. That's why it was great watching Crystal Palace, because they did to Tottenham what Tottenham were trying to do to Liverpool. And it, it brought a great performance out of Liverpool. And it was a really good performance from Tottenham, too. So I, no, nothing winds me up more than anti-football. And I wish we could ban it. Can we ban it from, from the rest of the Film Game podcast forever? I just think because of your reaction, I will have to bring it back at some <laughs> point. But, but I'll try my best. I'll try my best, Tom. Um, well, look, the, the comments made afterwards were, were intriguing to me, the dynamic between the two managers, particularly as I feel like Jose Mourinho is getting back to his sparkling best, the really intriguing character that the media and the public, uh, in my opinion, have been besotted with at times. Um, but, it, but he is a fascinating character. The words to Jurgen Klopp, who we all, I think many people love as a manager as well, um, were interesting because I think what he's trying to do is almost send a message to football, to the fans of Tottenham Hotspur, particularly to the players of Tottenham Hotspur, Not really that it's about Jose Mourinho, but that Tottenham Hotspur as a club, in every regard, should be looking at Liverpool and at every level, they're the club that we should be attaching ourselves to as rivals. And I think that's what he's trying to do, set themselves up as as rivals to the champions, looking at their results each week. It's us against Liverpool. And that's how you almost put yourself into a title race. You say, whatever they do, we have to reflect. And, you know, that race between Pep Guardiola uh, and his Manchester City side and Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, you know, every single question every week to them was about what the other team was doing. And I think Jose Mourinho almost wants to put Spurs in that mode of it's us versus Liverpool. And, and you know, come what may in May, you know, if we're there or thereabouts, who knows, we could win the title. And I'm fascinated, uh, Johnny, by that dynamic. Is that what you think Jose Mourinho is trying to do? Or is there something else to it? I th- there's nobody better than Jose at that sort of full-time whistle kind of reaction on the touchline for the cameras, that word in the other manager's ear where you suddenly see them reacting and, and, and he's making a point in which he then follows it up in this press conference. And it's so choreographed. He knows exactly what he's doing because he's, 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 he's done it for 15, 16 years. He's a master. But as you say, it's about messages. And he spent his whole time at Spurs telling them and telling the world that, I'm turning these, I'm turning you guys into winners. I'm turning this team into winners. And his messaging after the game last night was, we're still winners. We, we, we sort of won that game. And this lot got lucky and their manager needs to be looked at because of how he behaves. Uh, it was about taking a little bit of sheen away from Liverpool and reinforcing the fact that, forget the result, you know, we we are where we want to be. And as you say, Hugh, he, he would love this narrative to be about him and Klopp and Liverpool and, and, and Spurs because that's where he's trying to get Spurs to. 
psychologically. Um, I don't think mind games will work on Klopp, but I don't think that's what he's actually trying to do. I think he's he's. I, I think he, he wants us to maybe, as a media, look at Klopp or, or, or the authorities and, and maybe chip away a little bit at Liverpool's sheen by maybe looking at his touchline behaviour. But more than anything, he wants to show his players we're winners, and I'm up against this guy, and I'll 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 go and attack against him. You know, I'll I'll, I'll challenge him. Um, outside the pitch and you, you challenge them on the pitch. I'm hoping this uh, new attitude, I say new attitude, new old attitude from Jose Mourinho continues because I do feel like he's got his mojo back uh, a little bit. And another person I think who's back in the mood, Roberto Firmino, I know he mentioned him already, uh, getting the winner, that, that bullet header. Um, but he, he put in a performance that was reminiscent of his absolute peak with Liverpool and that has been missing for quite some time. Um, and it was part of the best bit of the game, really. You know, some of the touches, his finishing could have been better. Probably that's the story of the last year or so. But the header was was top draw, Tom Clark. He's a brilliant player. And I mean, I, I, I'm not part of the group that think he ever dipped or went away from being a brilliant player. Um, I, I, don't, I can't remember him having a particularly bad game. Um, he still does so many brilliant things that are vital to the way Liverpool play. He's, it's interesting to see him play in a slightly more advanced position at times because I still think he's got great ability on the ball and he can still do the things that Mo Salah and Sadio Mane do by creating a little bit of space and getting a shot shot away. But I mean, I, I, he is he is unfortunately in the kind of Son Hyung Min bracket of one of these players who is both underrated and yet incredibly gushingly praised all the time. And yet, and yet, st- and yet, still, we find ourselves wanting to talk about him. I mean, that 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 header. We're all talking about Jose Mourinho and Jurgen Klopp and things, but that header was absolutely brilliant. It might it might have not have happened had Harry Kane decided to jump and try and contest the ball. But you know, it, it, it still was a brilliant header. And I think I, I've never thought he's dipped or gone away from uh, being a top performer for Liverpool personally. He wasn't the only one fantastic for Liverpool last night either, Gregor, was he? Uh, Curtis Jones in the midfield getting a lot of accolades. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, I was really impressed with him. I thought he kind of, he's, he's just like the kind of complete midfielder that that Klopp wants and Klopp kind of demands almost, you know, full of industry and running. I'd imagine probably, you know, he's only 19, he'll become even more athletic as well. Um, but he's got that little kind of ability to kind of shuffle the ball between his feet and go past somebody in midfield and drive, or he can drive into the box, the little pockets of space, little one-twos. Um, the one one time played a beautiful ball down the side for for uh, Manny, I think it was, when he, before he struck the bar. Just a little outside the right foot, perfectly weighted into his path. Um, so yeah, I think you know, I think that was a kind of bit of a coming of age performance almost. He was, you know, he's playing against wily old kind of midfielders not old but Hoiberg's kind of had a brilliant season for for Spurs and he was you know he was he was someone who was making things happen for Liverpool definitely I thought he was brilliant Uh, I think last night in many ways the title race hotted up to use that phrase Um, it just seems to be getting tighter between the teams I think people are maturing into the, the fact that they could credibly go on and push for more and I know teams drop points as well uh, you know Everton got a win Leicester of course beaten and they've been great at the moment in many ways Southampton dropped a couple of points I know they were taking on Arsenal as well um, 
but I just feel like as we go into this Christmas period over the next three or four weeks, we'll we'll really see who's up for the fight in terms of this title race. Of course, Liverpool will definitely be there. There's a relegation battle at the other end of the table as well. And I think there's a few teams that are entrenched in terms of the fact that they are going to be involved. It's become very apparent that West Bromwich Albion are one of those teams, but they don't want to be there. And they've made the decision to sack manager Slavin Bilic. They're bringing in Sam Allardyce, who returns to football for the first time since leaving Everton in 2018. Of course, the former England manager for all of one game is back in football at his eighth Premier League club. It's a story that was on the back page of the Times the morning after. In fact, it was already on the back page the evening of West Brom's draw away at Manchester City. And that led to questions for Slaven Bilic in his press conference. And the next day we did find out that Slaven Bilic is gone. Earlier on, I spoke to our chief sports correspondent, Matt Lawton, about how this story ended up on the back page. Matt, I've got to start by saying uh, former England defender Micah Richards is not happy with you. Um, last night, he was discussing the sacking of Slava Bilic. He said it wasn't the right way. It was leaked to the media. It was on the back pages. Um, I, I, I guess he's taking aim more at the club than he is at you. But just take us behind this story. How did we get to the point that it ran as a back page leader that the morning after West Brom's draw against Manchester City? Well got to be careful here, Hughes, I can't reveal sources, but no, it was, um, we found out um, on Tuesday evening that it was happening, whatever happened uh, in the Manchester City game. So yes, I have sympathy for, 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 for Slavin because obviously I don't think he had um, even given his press conference after the match at City and our back page was on Twitter. So he, those questions were put to him. The journalists who were at the game were suddenly asking him about our story. I have sympathy for that. I always remember that I think news broke that Martin Yole had been fired by Spurs uh, when he was actually in the dugout during a match. I also very clearly recall uh, that Easter Monday when, um, because I spoke to him, uh, when Moyes was fired by Manchester United and he didn't know anything about it. Indeed, when I first spoke to David and I was sitting at home working on something else and suddenly realised on the Sky Sports News ticker that this story had broken and it was actually the newspapers that had broken it. It was the Manchester reporters who had got wind of this. And I rang David and he, had, he, di he didn't believe it. You know, he was like, no, that can't be right. That, that, that cannot be right. Um, and by the end of that day, um, and he'll, t he'll tell you this is true, I said to him, not only have you been fired, I know who's replacing you. And it was, it was, it was Van Gaal. So unfortunately, this is how things sometimes happen because managers are often lined up to replace people. These things get out. It did surprise many. I, I personally think West Brom weren't playing too badly. They weren't cut adrift. They weren't being, you know, battered every week. Uh, it didn't feel like it was at that point yet. But for many people, there isn't that context of what's going on at the club, where they want to be as well. Um, just tell us a little bit about West Bromwich Albion at the moment and why they wanted to move on from Slavin Bilic. Yeah, I, look, I think there's been some friction for some time between... Billich and, and I've got to say I've got a lot of time for Billich. I remember when he was um, when he was Croatian manager and the draw for the Euros was 
being done and we all end up having dinner with Slaven and he's brilliant company, you know, incredibly intelligent guy and I think a very good coach. But there was clearly friction. He did an amazing job last year uh, in getting them promoted, although they did sort of struggle towards the end. The fact of the matter is they have only won four league games since February. But there was, there was tension. There was tension, I think, between Bilic and the hierarchy. I, th- I think there was frustration on Bilic's part that they weren't able to invest that much in the transfer market in the summer. And I do think he felt like he still had a championship squad going into the Premier League. And, and as, as spirited as they were against City, who, let's face it, you, you know, were not on their game on the other night. You know, they, their finishing was poor. Um, you know, they they have got the worst defensive record in the Premier League and you can just tell that transition has been a real struggle. You know, the decision had clearly been made before the City game. It's tough on managers, but the pressure now to remain in the Premier League because of the wealth of the Premier League, and that's never been more obvious than with the onset of this pandemic, the, the gulf, because the fact is the Premier League clubs are okay and it's everyone below them that is drowning in, in potential financial ruin. And, you know, that's why they're so desperate. That's why they've hit press the button now. And that's why they've gone for someone with a track record of somebody like Allardyce. Yes, yeah, Sam Allardyce, uh, many calling him the disgrace, former England manager. But of course, he's got a fantastic record in the Premier League. This is going to be his eighth club. And stories around that he'll be getting a two million pound survival bonus if West Brom do stay up. Um, any truth in that? Do you think? Yeah, there is truth in it. Yeah, I, I don't think two million is the right figure. I haven't been specific. I have an idea what it is. I think it's dependent on league position, which is why we kept it a bit more vague. You know, a number of papers have come up with different numbers this morning, and I think that's why because it isn't a set number. But of course, you know, that's the incentive. And I think that's pretty normal that you get a bonus for keeping a team a team in the Premier League. And again, it comes back to, you know, there's a reason why the championship playoff is, is regarded as the £200 million game or whatever it is. It's because the, you know, the, the TV money is, is, is huge. Therefore, to spend a few million quid on a manager makes perfect sense. So... I don't think there's any great shock in in the fact that he's on a bonus if he keeps them up. I think that's that would be the sort of you know request of any manager going into a club in that situation. And just finally, it has been spoken about for a little while. I wonder if you've got any more information on a proposed takeover at West Bromwich Albion and whether this sacking played a part in the value of the club going forward. You know, them being in the Premier League, making it maybe an easier sale. Well, I probably, I probably don't know any more on that than you do. Like, the thing about these takeovers, Hugh, is that they're always shrouded in secrecy. But you're absolutely right. You know, look at what's happening with Derby. Now, they're saying that that is still happening. But you can just tell that any prospective buyer, whatever price they've agreed, they're getting a bit twitchy by the league position, mm-hmm. you know, because, because if you're not careful, you spend a fair lump of money on a football club that is suddenly, in Derby's case, in the third tier of English football. That is a long way back to the promised land, if you like. So, yes, I'm, I'm sure that was probably in the thinking as well. This is why there's been this, all this talk of trying to close this gap between the Championship and the Premier League, because it leads to this kind of behaviour. It leads to a manager 
who actually deserves an enormous amount of credit for getting them promoted, to being ejected after 13 games of the following season. You know, it, it's cash is king and it's a financial disaster if you get relegated. Our thanks once again to Matt Lawton for joining us to discuss events at West Brom. And I feel like it was a little bit harsh on Slaven Bilic, but in many ways, the stats don't lie. He's only won 10 of the last 39 league games for West Bromwich Albion. Maybe some will feel he's harshly done by. Two points from safety in 19th place. I mean, it's not like they were out of it. Uh, Tom Clark, do you think this was a fair sacking of Slaven Bilic? It, it depends entirely on your viewpoint. Um, in terms of what you want West Bromwich Albion to be as a football team, I think, within modern football. I mean, West Brom are a club quite close to my heart. I went to university in Birmingham. Uh, and one of my good friends is a season ticket holder. And so I went with him for a season in which they were getting promoted. A fantastic club, really enjoyed it learning uh, the black country alphabet before the game. So they're, they're, they're a club that are quite close to my heart. And I was speaking to my friend Sam yesterday about it. Uh, and he says he's, he and I think he embodies quite a lot of the fans' feelings on this in that he's incredibly torn. He said that he loves Slaven Bilic and felt that the fans and the players were all well behind him despite the poor start. And that it seems, and you can see it from social media, that a lot of the blame is directed at the owners in the sense that the, the spending was very limited in the summer. Yes, they brought players in, but the players they brought in were the likes of Pereira, who they had on loan last season anyway. It's very much a championship team. Carl and Grant was signed, but again, he's a championship-level striker, I'd say, trying to prove himself at Premier League level. But, you know, then again, you know, Salmon and a lot of other West Brom fans, you know, it is about results and... they prob- they might get a better chance of getting results with Sam Allardyce. So I, I think whether it's harsh or not depends on your view on f- football and what you want West Brom to be. If you want, if you're okay with them being a Norwich kind of team and self sufficient, and that thing that Greg has talked about before about wanting to be in the top twenty six teams in the country, then it is very harsh because I think he was doing quite a good job. If you want something else, if you want them to maybe stay in the league this season and then sell the club and turn them into something different, then it's a good decision because you're probably going to get that from Sam Allardyce. Um, But I I do think there's a bit of sadness around, and that was what my friend Sam, and you could see it on social media, there seemed to be a bit of a sadness around it because it seemed to be, it, 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 it didn't feel like a positive move. It was an acceptance that, oh, we'll have to go to the big, the big Sam Allardyce way. Um, and so, you know, as much as my friend was, you know, he's saying that in a few months' time, he'll be very much on the Allardyce bandwagon if results are improving. It, it, it feels a little, I don't know whether it's harsh. I think it's a bit sad, personally. Well, I'll look ahead to Big Sam's time in charge in a moment and we'll look at the spending with Johnny shortly. But Gregor, from a player's perspective, when you're at a club, and I don't know if it's happened to you, and you feel like everyone at the club, in terms of the fans and the players are behind the manager. In my opinion, the players were still playing for Slaven Bilic. A draw away at Manchester City sort of suggests that. Um, how does it affect the changing room when it's not obvious that the manager should be leaving? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's generally a, you know, there's a, there's a strong feeling in the changing room whether the manager is harshly treated. You know, if you feel he's been harshly treated, then you know it can be something that angers some players. But at the end of the day, Sam Allardyce has been in this position many times and he's come into clubs in all sorts of circumstances and he always manages to get players to play for them and engage them 
and that, that's why he's been hired. So, you know, uh, it, there's always a feeling within the changing room. There's an opinion, there's a swell of opinion whether you like the, the manager or not, whether you feel it's harsh. It, it doesn't matter. It's up to the new guy to engage the, the, the changing room and get the, get, the, get the players playing for them. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, does West Brom look more likely now to stay up? I mean, I'd say yes. And I know that that's not, that shouldn't be everything in football, that's, but that's what the Premier League is for the bottom half, really. It's about fear. It's about survival. And that's what this decision is based on. Another thing I'd say is, you know, <laughs> your friend Tom saying that, you know, you'll be on the bandwagon if, if the results change. It's what happens a year on from then, because it's the same thing as what happens with Tony Pulis. I mean, he came in, transformed them, got them to one of their, I think, I think one of their highest finishes in you know decades, uh, eighth or something like that, and no, they're up to tenth, and uh, and then still the crowds fell, and the moans, the moans and groans started. So it's not just about survival and you know being mid-table and safe in the in the Premier League. Fans want more than that nowadays. So yeah, he'll keep probably keep them up, and then what happens a year down the line when it's the football is a bit like Tony Pulis's and they want something more, then that'll just start the cycle again. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, my friend, his overriding view, his first view when I asked him about it was, I'd rather have kept Bilic and gone down because it felt like a more overall cohesive project and plan. And I, I think that's a very good point. And that's, we've talked about it before with Wayne Rooney, with Johnny and managers choosing their projects and things. This is a fast, this is so nakedly a short term stay in the Premier League. You know, Allardyce has got an 18-month deal with a six-month break clause if it doesn't work out. So it's almost like, as a club, West Brom have got to put this plan in place. And then you half wonder whether they're then going, okay, right, well, if in a year's time or in six months' time, if we've got what we wanted, which was Premier League survival, the next phase of our plan is out Allardyce goes and in comes who knows, young manager from the championship, young foreign manager who's going to change the style of play. Are we starting to put the building blocks? I'm, 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 to- I'm, dream- I'm talking in dreamland. I know I am. You're all shaking your heads. That's what happened at West Ham in reverse. Let's remember. Billich was the guy who replaced Allardyce. And he was supposed to be someone who improved the football. And, you know, that's the warped world that the Premier League is. There's all these associations with these with these managers. And I think it's given Billich a bit too much credit, to be honest, to say that he's part of a bigger project. But that says more about West Brom as a football club than Billich. So, you know, there are lots of issues at play here. But to keep someone to keep West Brom in the league, Allardyce is the best man for the job. But just quickly, they're two different things, aren't they? Like West Ham are a club who you would say have loftier expectations and ambitions than West Brom. Like as I say, I went I went to West Brom as with a season ticket holder, and it was the year Roberto Di Matteo got them up from the Championship, and obviously that was a great season of success. But the football wasn't great at times; it was pretty dull at times. But you know, the crowd was fantastic. You know, they they enjoyed the boing boing celebrations of going up and down. You know, so I they're, they're in a they're in a slight, this is not doing West Brom a disservice, but they're in a slightly different category to West Ham. And I'm just saying, what is your, as I say, reflecting on, say, Norwich, who came up last season, made some investments. You actually felt halfway through the season, they're signing these players for the championship next season. It, it's what your what your end goal is. That's the difficulty with the Allardyce appointment, isn't it, long term? Well, yes, that, I, I take that point on board. I think, I think the end goal 
is so far away at the moment for West Brom at the moment. So they're, they're thinking there's, there's a lot of short-term things going on. You know, one, there might be a change of ownership there. So they want to stay in the Premier League to maximise any value of the club. Um, they went up and spent, I think the net spend was about 25 to 30 million, which you contrast with Leeds, you know, spent 100 million, Villa spent 140 the year before. Fulham have spent... Um, so it, 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 it's, a, it's a club that's trying to get away with it this season. It's trying to get away with staying in the Premier League. Any, you know, a, a long-term project, that's for another day. I don't think Slavin was part of a long-term project, as, as, as Greg had alluded to, because I spoke to I interviewed Luke Dowling earlier in the year, and, I mean, he, he described Slavin as a, basically a pragmatic appointment to get them out of the championship. He said they, you know, they, they were sort of depressed after going down, not coming up straight away under Darren Moore and then Jimmy Shand. And they needed something to, to kind of lift the club and Slavin with his popularity and his aura was the guy to do that. But they looked at it in, in those terms. That wasn't a sense that Slavin's the guy that's going to now build a football club for five years. And, and, and Luke cut his teeth at Watford, you know, the ultimate short-term sackers. I think what, one pattern you can see that being repeated from a sort of Watford philosophy here is that it's actually... I know we're focusing on Sam getting three million quid as a salary and two million for keeping them up, but it's still cheaper to do that than to go into January and sign forty million pounds worth of players. You know, changing managers is, is the cheapest thing you can do to try and affect a big change in in, in your results. And I think that's that's simply what they've done. Anything else, style projects, is completely for another day because of where that club is at the moment. But do we not think he's going to have to spend money anyway? So I, I, I look at the West Brom squad and don't think that they've got a they've got a Sam Allardyce team necessarily. Like, no, you're, you're, you're no, you're right, Tom. But I think again, you look at Sam spending. We've seen him do it before. Will be three or four rugged, experienced pros. Won't cost a lot of money transfer fee wise. Two or three million pounds worth each, maybe. Bit of wages, yeah, but but, but there'll be short term deals. What I'm saying is, he, it's not a project manager. If they'd gone for Eddie Howe, for example, he'd have had an, ideas about you know people he wanted to invest in over a longer term, younger players, because that's the way he that's the way he works. So they will have to spend, but I think Sam will enable a type of pragmatic spending that that they'll be comfortable with. I, I, it's something to me that you just think, where does the club see itself as well? I know I understand your points on this being very short term and all about staying in the Premier League until they can sell the club for a maximum value. But there were West Brom fans suggesting last night, you know, it was an argument really between Premier League obscurity, six or seven enjoyable games a season, or be a yo-yo club, but have the occasional season where you win every other week or you challenge for a title and you get that joy or you go to a playoff final, as opposed to staying in the Premier League every single season, finishing 16th, 15th, 14th, whatever it might be, and never really enjoying it. And not only enjoying it in terms of the results, but enjoying it in terms of the style of football. You know, it's like if you're going to go and see your team be obscure or mediocre, at least have the endeavour of playing great football as opposed to what was so, so the ultimate anti-football signing in many ways, Tom, uh, Sam Allardyce. <laughs> You've gone too early trying to wind me up about that already, I mean. <laughs> It's definitely not anti-football. He'll do a very good job. Come on, don't. I was in a good mood. I'm talking about low, you know teams lower <laughs> down the pyramid. You've put me in a better mood. 
but I'm serious around um, around you know the feeling that football could be more enjoyable in a lower division. Well, look at look at the top of the championship as it stands: Norwich, Bournemouth, Watford. Look at the, the, the teams that went down last season, and I mean, you know, my, one thing I would say own, is none of them are playing particularly good, enjoyable football to watch. They're not playing good football necessarily, but they're they're winning games. Which yeah. we're not getting into the anti-football debate. It's better to be winning games than losing games. And I mean, you know, my my uncle's a Huddersfield fan, and they stayed up the one season they got in, and then about two, three months into the next season, he was like, "God, I hope we go down because this is I'm so sick of this." But this is but this is probably the the debate, isn't it, in modern football for these kind of teams: the Huddersfields, Norwiches, Bournemouths, West Broms, the fans. Maybe well, they they don't mind the going down because they get the joy of coming up again. But then you've got owners who are going, "I want the Premier League money, so we need to stay in there." And then you have the Watford scenario of the manager managerial churn and everything like that. That's where we're at with these clubs. Unfortunately, it's a it's, it's a ethical and moral and financial battle between owners and fans. I think that I think that's right, and I think part of that is actually the man, the position of the manager. That, that fans now want to like their manager. They want they want the manager to have a personality that they will get behind and identify with. Which is, you know, why Slavin Bilic is 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 a popular manager. He was popular at West Brom, at West Ham, even even when he was sacked, because because people like him. People who support the clubs he manages like hearing him speak and like him representing the club, and that's part of management now as well. And so, there, yeah, there, I mean. Sam's a, a likable guy in many ways, but I think there's just a sense of like, oh, right, we know what this this character in the soap opera of football, we kind of know who he is. You know, there's nothing surprising. We want we want somebody different. There is a sense of that. I think you know, Tony Pulis ended up getting into that space where fans were maybe just fed up. And Mark Hughes, there was a huge blowback on social media when when he was being linked with a joke. Not seen as a popular character, and, and so that popularity aspect is part of it for fans as well, and it's part of the battle because owners still want results, pragmatism, but the fans want they want a bit more. They want football to enjoy, and probably want characters that they enjoy as well. There's plenty of characters here on the game podcast as well. If you're enjoying it, uh, give us a five star rating on Apple Podcast or whichever podcast provider you use, to be honest. And make sure you're subscribed as well. You can get yourself a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times on all of your devices. Sign up today. You'll get yourself one month free. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get yourself started. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, one thing's for sure. I'm not, I'm not perfectly... Um down with the idea that West Brom will be more entertaining to watch under Big Sam. But one team that continues to be is Big Marcelo's Leeds United. Um, Big Marcelo, Bielsa there, his team beating Newcastle United five goals to two in midweek. Three of the five games where a team has had more than 25 shots in the Premier League this season came from Leeds United. Every single match they play is entertaining, Gregor. This is commitment to a philosophy in the Premier League. They're just ridiculous, to be honest. <laughs> They're kind of... I was looking at some stats this uh, this morning and generally, any stat you pull up, they are in like the top three or five. They're like, first for expected goals, first for expected goals against. <laughs> so they're like uh, second most shots of any team in the league, first crosses, third for possession behind City and Liverpool, which for a team in 13th is just ridiculous. Um, again, only City, Liverpool or Chelsea have made more passes. Second for touches in the penalty area. Um, and then they've got the best pre- pressing statistics in the league. Um but they conceded the most shots. So either end, it's just like wild and wacky. And they kind of, they're unique. Let's be honest, they're they're a unique team to to watch. And and they're a kind of first in the Premier League in that they're, they're so gung-ho. And they really, you know, the, the amount of goals that are conceding, but at the same time, the amount of quality chances they're creating just makes for wild, thrillingly entertaining football. And some of those goals were, were just brilliant. I mean, they've, you know, it's not the first time we've seen it, but the way they just, when they're breaking, they just break their necks, five or six white shirts, absolutely breaking their necks to get forward. And they were almost lining up. Alioski's goal, they were basically lining up. I saw, I think it was Harrison was just to his left and Alioski kind of came in and took Hernandez's pass, scored, and Harrison was like, I've just ran all that way. (laughs) And you kind of nipped in a yard in front of me and taken the goal. So then direct a few minutes later, he picks the ball up, runs down to the pitch and smashes it in the top corner. It's a good response. Tom, is this the best promoted side in terms of entertainment that we've seen? Uh, I mean, I want to be very careful around this topic of entertainment because it, it, you, you, I feel like you're almost leaning towards winding me up again for the third time. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's an entertainment business. No, it's not. It's a results business. Ah, oh, right. You've done it again. <laughs> that, was, that was the perfect one too. I'm just going to answer your question and not get wound up. Yes, they are incredibly entertaining and they're brilliant to watch. I would also like to say that Leeds 5, Newcastle 2 is a brilliantly kind of 90s early premiership type scoreline. All that that was missing was some kind of baggy shirts and a slightly muddier pitch. And I would have been watching, you know, Premier League years on Sky. I thought it was was fantastic in that regard. They're, They're incredibly impressive and they do make for incredibly entertaining football to watch. And it's great from a neutral's point of view. I mean, Jack Harrison, I mean, my God, that kid's talented, isn't he? Jesus. He's, I was looking as well individually in terms of statistics as well for chances created the usual brigade of Fernandez, De Bruyne and the Lark in the top three. And then four and five are Harrison and Glick for Leeds. And that is incredibly impressive as well. 
they're, they're, they are fantastic to watch, of course, but it is a results business and they will get turned over occasionally by the likes of Crystal Palace. But I don't mind that because I'm not a Leeds fan, so I'll enjoy it and it's fantastic to watch. It's a results business for people within the industry, but the industry itself is an entertainment business. How can you deny that? People literally watch it for a bit of entertainment and that's what it's about. There's nothing else it is about. It's about entertainment. This is a separate conversation and we don't talk about Leeds enough on this podcast, so I don't want to get distracted, but this is why TV and has corrupted the idea of what football is supposed to be. Football is about results and about winning leagues and about winning trophies and about achieving success. It's not That is first. It's not about entertaining me on my sofa. That is second. And I'm, I can see you grinning. You're trying to get me to get wound up again and go for entertaining you in your in your seat in the stand though no it's not no it's not when you're in the when you're in the stand i like i can't i've said this recently about season ticket holders you don't you're not going and going oh golly wasn't that entertaining that was absolutely thrilling no you're going get in we won come on we won get in we're not gonna go down we're gonna get promoted yeah we might get the playoffs i can't honestly rem- i can't tell you a time when i've gone to a lincoln game and gone Wow, that was entertaining. But I can tell you countless times when I've been absolutely buzzing that we've got a point or won the game. How, anyway, Leeds are great. I love Jack Harrison. They're brilliant. Just no, last thing on that is that, I mean, as I said earlier, West Brom fans stopped going when Tony Pulis was in charge. Two, two or 3,000 of them. So clearly they do want to see more than results. So anyway, but back to Leeds. Back to Leeds. The other good thing about Leeds is we're seeing some of their some of their signings really kind of starting to find their feet and, and you know Rafinha looks like a really good player, Rodrigo as well but then at the same time like Luke Ayling's playing, basically playing centre half and <laughs> like Alioski really can't defend Dallas, who knows what he is, he is Dallas could play anywhere on the pitch so they, they are unique, they are unique and I know there's been a lot of kind of love for Leeds and then it, you know then everyone start saying oh can they keep it up can they you know can they can they continue to do this in the Premier League you know they went through a really bad spell but I mean sometimes they're just going to run over teams like this uh, a quick pop quiz um, Tom who said when talking about providing entertainment to the club's fans it's not my responsibility it's my job I, I don't know but I'm I, Marcelo Bielsa probably Ow you've it. nailed it Marcelo uh, Bielsa uh, says it's all about providing entertainment the man himself I, I, who am I to argue with Marcelo I, I don't know Jonathan um, we, we'll move on getting, from this if he wasn't getting <laughs> results he wouldn't be there to provide the entertainment because he wouldn't have got them promoted they got promoted that's why we're being entertained by them he wouldn't be there Listen, I can't argue with the man himself, can I? No, but he's been at Leeds. I think this is now, I heard a stat, this is his longest tenure mm-hmm. into a charge of any club. He is he is a fantastic manager for entertainment, but he's not been at other clubs because he's not had success in terms of results. He's at Leeds providing us with entertainment because he got them promoted. That is success. He's been absolutely fantastic. I'll agree with you on that. I do expect them towards the end of the season to run out of a bit of steam. I know people say that didn't happen in the championship last year, but I just think in the Premier League, it's going to be tough. You're 4-2 up. You don't run the ball in the corner. You run straight at goal, length of the pitch, about six players sprinting up there. And you've got to think towards the end of the season that might have some effect. Um, But looking ahead to the weekend as a Manchester United fan, 
Leeds United do massively worry me. I can't remember. I don't know if there has been a 7-6 result in the Premier League before, but this could be the weekend, Johnny. <laughs> it could. I'm, I'm torn with that game between thinking they are the... Leeds are the tailor-made team to punish United, but they're also the tailor-made team for United to to punish. And and it's going to be, um, it's going to be just you know counter-attack fest, isn't it? It's going to be sprinting one end of the pitch to the other. Uh, I'd imagine Bruno Fernandes will enjoy playing against Leeds, but my God, I can't I can't imagine Luke Shaw and Wan Bissaka keeping Dallas Elioski and Harrison and. Um, whoever else piles down the flanks at the same time at, at, at bay. I mean, it, it's brilliant. it puts a different complexion on this game. I mean, I, I'm old enough to have reported on those Leeds United, Man United games round about the early noughties when Leeds were really good and, and, and the rivalry is what it is. And they were, they were, I mean, they were good football matches, really good football matches, but with a real edge to them. And, I don't expect this to be a physical encounter at all. I expect it to, um, of course, without fans, it makes a difference as well. But it, 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 it might not be the, <laughs> might not be the most tactical battle or the best um, exposition of defensive football. But yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it'll be a basketball match, surely. Look, Leeds continue to impress. Don't always get the result, to be perfectly honest, but they, they are an impressive side. Um, and as Greg has already pointed out, at the moment in the championship, the, the teams at the top aren't overly entertaining, but they are getting the job done, particularly the leaders, Norwich, who've now won the last four straight league games, two goals to one specifically. And so we thought we'd end by asking what the most predictable thing in football is at the moment. Tom, I'll start with you. What do you think? Well, the way this podcast going, the most predictable thing in football is you winding me up about entertainment <laughs> or pragmatism. But I think I'm going to go slightly along the same lines because I'm in a bit of a grumpy mood today, uh, more so than usual, and say that the most predictable thing in football is when a team is not scoring goals, people saying they need to sign a new striker, as if that is the most simple cause-effect problem-ish solve. That is the most, predict at any league, at any level, we've all heard they're not scoring enough. We need a new striker. That is that's the most predictable thing in football, I think. It's a bit of a general one, but it, it's something that winds me up no end because it, it's as if you just, like, you can't put a, a strike, any striker into a team and all of a sudden they'll start scoring goals. You've got to create chances first. Anyway, that's my, that's my shout before I get even more wound up than I am already. Just long ball it to the man up front, to be honest. Big Sam's uh, tactics will work out. Uh, Jonathan, what do you think? <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, I was toying between things that came to mind would be like Harvey Barnes going through on goal and almost scoring um, or Alex, Alex Mitrovic not playing at all for the rest of the season but being top scorer in the championship next year because he, he'll come back with 25 goals at that level. But um, I, we talked about Big Sam. I was wondering about... Um, who he might sign and in January he'll surely sign Abdullah Fai again um, he might, he's 42 now um, but I'm sure Sam can make him do a job get Abdullah back it'd be the fourth time he'd, he'd sign him um, score a couple of set piece goals keep them up and um, and then Tony Pulis will pick him up for Sheffield Wednesday to give him a, a final Indian summer I do get the feeling Yannick Balassi is going to be West Brom's player of the season at this point in time. <laughs> he'll, he'll have something up his sleeve, Sam Allardyce. He, he actually is on my list of 
offshore things, death taxes and Sam Allardyce being brought in on a short-term deal to rescue a team from relegation is pretty much a promise every other season, isn't it? Also with a huge bonus for doing so. Uh, Gregor, what do you think? Tim Sherwood. Just the most predictable <laughs> thing in football, basically. <laughs> Did you see that clip last night from the corner? He's like, he's chatting away going, yeah, they're too good. They're too good in there. They're not, not going to get their head or anything here. Boom. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then the week, just the weekend before as well, he said after the West Ham, uh, West Ham beat Leeds, like Leeds have run out of steam. They're supposed to be the first team in league. And then we just saw them absolutely steamroller uh, <laughs> Newcastle last night. So I think the most predictable thing in football is Tim Sherwood. Mina Rola p- piping up to say that one of his players wants to leave a club. It's just like clockwork every six weeks. We only really hear it when it's a player in the Premier League, but trust me, he's just regularly saying one of his players needs to leave to get football, and it has to be to one of the big clubs in European football as well. Raheem Sterling and missing sitters for me. Oh, my (laughs) word. When will this ever end? Raheem Sterling in front of goal. It's just like, I mean, De Bruyne's ball at the end of the West Brom oh. game, whipped it in. I mean, uh, Gregor, you would have scored that definitely. Raheem Sterling, missing chances like that. It's just going to be the story of his career. If he was a good finisher, we'd be talking about the English Messi as far as I'm concerned. His numbers would be through the roof. But I think he is a good finisher. That's the weird thing. He's, <laughs> he's almost like the predictable thing of re- people talking about Raheem Sterling being a bad finisher. Yes, he misses chances, but he also scores quite a lot of goals. Like he's been, he scored a lot of goals in the last few seasons. That doesn't make you a good finisher. By the way, what about Sebastian Allaire on a tangent? But have you ever seen a player that scores so many brilliant goals and misses so many setters? He's, he's, I said last night when I saw they'd scored, it'd be an overhead kick. It wouldn't be a tapping. He's unbelievable. No, well, maybe that's another one. West Ham having slightly in, unpredictable foreign strikers who are inconsistent, but occasionally produce the, uh, the miraculous. Maybe that's another predictable thing in football. Now, one of the most unpredictable things is that we won't be back on Monday. We'll be back now on Tuesday. So my thanks to Tom Clark, Gregor Robertson and Jonathan Northcroft for being with me for the last hour or so. But the easiest way to remember that we're back on Tuesday is by subscribing. Get yourself a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. And not only can you enjoy more of our award-winning journalism across all of your devices, but you'll also be reminded whenever an episode drops. You can also gift someone a subscription for Christmas as well. Just sign up today. You'll get yourself one month three go online search the times.co.uk forward slash the game to get started and remember we're back on tuesday helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.